This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, February 18th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Norwood deaths under investigation, Mountain Village Hotel stumbles at Design Review Board, a day in the life of a miner with Finton Cole and a mountain weather forecast. Two women died in Norwood on Wednesday, February 16th. Brittany Roman was discovered dead in her car near Gurley Drive outside of Norwood on Wednesday morning. She was 38 years old. According to the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office, the death is suspicious, but an autopsy didn't show an obvious cause of death. The Colorado Bureau of Investigation is assisting with the investigation. The Sheriff's Office says there is no immediate threat to the community, Roman is survived by her brother, Eric, and her parents, Eric and Amy. That same morning, Anne Bailey of Placerville and Kelowna was found dead in her husband's residence in Norwood. She was 59 years old. Bailey is survived by her husband, Ken, her mother, Mary, her brother, David, her sons, Jeremy, Noah, and Christopher, and her five grandchildren. Both cases are under investigation. A new hotel development in Mountain Village hit a snag this week. This Thursday, at a Joint Design Review Board, or DRB, and Mountain Village Town Council meeting, the DRB opted to get more information from developers before making a final decision on approving or denying a planned unit development for the project. The proposed development would be a mix of a five-star hotel, condominiums, a restaurant, spa, and open space. The project would sit on the lot just next to the Gondola Plaza in Mountain Village, extending towards Wagner Plaza and the Conference Center. According to Jay Coriardi, a developer on the project with Fort Partners, luxury is the goal. What we do is what we call lifestyle development. We're not your typical developer that goes in, takes a look at the math and says, you know, if I put in 100 units, you know, I'll get this much out. That's not what we do. We look at what kind of lifestyle are we going to bring to this project. Every project we look at is a unique project. We don't have a formula that is used over and over again. The only formula is our ethos that if we design something that we're proud to live in ourselves, then we've done a good job. Kirsten Murray is a partner with Olsen Kundig, the architecture firm working on the project. She says they want to make a building that is both modern, but also ties into the natural environment. For us, designing in these landscapes, um, there are a few really key things. Again, one, the building in the landscape. How does the building learn from the landscape, the natural amenities, the orientations, the views, the winds, you know, how is that building becoming an element that is um, learning from the landscape. She says they're looking to use a natural material palette, highlighting stone, wood, bronze, glass, and metal. And finally, I think something you see in some of these projects, we really try to think of the building, like you might think when you get up in the morning and dress to go skiing out on the slopes. The building is a system of layers that you ought to be able to change, to operate, um, to manipulate as you get hot, as you get cold, as you get wet, dry. And so we typically look um, at, uh, we often look at kinetic elements, ways to you know, open and close buildings so that they can respond to seasons and changes in the day. So you'll see that is an element that we are 
uh, proposing to explore in this building design. But even with a design that aims to embrace the local landscape, Amy Ward, senior planner for the town of Mountain Village, has some concerns. Just as an overall statement, I guess staff would like to see a building form that is a little bit more contextually compatible or that visually references those buildings around it. As proposed, the development will look much different from the buildings already in Mountain Village's core. The design shows flat roofs, balconies that extend the length of the building, and block-formed buildings. Mountain Village's DRB uses the town's community development code to evaluate a project. This development requires a number of waivers or variances from the CDC, including height variances, to allow the building up to 96 feet tall from the average 60 feet. The development also requests variances when it comes to the roof shape, balconies, landscaping, design theme, building material, and parking. Dev Matwani, managing partner at Merrimack Ventures, another one of the developers, says he knows no development is perfect, and they aim to balance the wants and needs of the community with those of the five-star hotel company that would be coming in. We really try to do is understand the community. That being said, when you work with these brands and that you provide that luxury experience, it also comes with some some challenges. You know, we can't have uh, allow for access through the middle of our site. They're providing a luxury experience. They need to control that, not only for security, but for also, also for experience. Uh, it requires taller ceilings, and so the building tends to get a little bit taller in certain areas. But we try to position that in a way uh, where we're more sensitive, at least thinking about uh, our neighbors. It doesn't mean that it's perfect, but we at least try to, to do that. During public comment, the community was in support of the project as a concept. Here's Mountain Village resident Patrick Latcham. We're in the midst of the perfect storm for this right now. We have a viable economy. We have a proven developer with a great track record. We have a lot that's been zoned for this and a proposal that's coming in below density for that lot. And that takes into consideration the, the green space. Um, it's, I've never seen all those boxes checked before. No idea when that could happen again, and we're in the midst of a, a great opportunity to take advantage of all of those things and create an amazing product. But a number of comments, including Randy Podolsky, also shared concern with the height and design of the buildings. The project, as I see it today, as presented today, uh, it does not fit. From the roof line all the way down to the walls on the exterior, it does not fit in our community, in my opinion. But again, I want to end on a positive and tell you that I think this is a fantastic opportunity and project for the Mountain Village that we should embrace and endorse and figure out how to make it fit in and get it done. The public's concerns were largely shared by the members of the DRB. Here's DRB member Ellen Kramer addressing the developers. Your words are exactly what we want to hear, but that's not what we're seeing here. And um, I think that as, as the project stands before us, it lacks a lot of basic compliance with our CDC, and that gives me great pause. Even though in general, I am in favor of everything that you've said, your words and your visuals aren't jiving for me. In the end, the Design Review Board voted to continue a discussion on the design elements of the development, giving the developers and architects an opportunity to incorporate the comments and concerns in a new or amended design. The Design Review Board and Mountain Village Town Council will continue discussion on the hotel development at their March 17th meeting. You can't touch this. 
can't touch this. You can't touch this. Football, basketball, lacrosse, oh my. This week on A Day in the Life of a Minor, Telluride High School's Fenton Cole brings the latest. Have a listen. You can't touch this. Look at my eyes, man. You can't touch this. This is Fenton Cole on your sports update. The Los Angeles Rams won the Super Bowl on February 13th by a score of 23 to 20. They went to halftime with a 13 to 10 lead, but a Joe Burrow injury sealed the deal, and that was your night for the Bengals. We won't be seeing any American football action until September 15th. Boys varsity basketball lost to the North Fork Miners 63 to 54. They had a surprise game against the Dolores Bears and won 49 to 46. They are 5-12 overall and 5th in the league. Two home games against the Ignacio Bobcats and Ridgeway Demons will be taking place over the weekend. Good luck and go Miners! Girls Varsity Basketball lost against the North Fork Miners 44-5. They had a game against the Mancos Blue Jays on Wednesday and lost 65-6. They have a game against the Ignacio Bobcats on Friday. The varsity and junior varsity lacrosse season start in early March with a home game against the Montrose Indians. Be sure to cheer on your minors. The boys lacrosse team played last year and made the playoffs on a 9-1 record. They, they faced the Eagle Valley Devils and lost in overtime, so they're hoping to get over that hump this year. Thank you for tuning in to Kodo. I'm Fenton Cole reporting live from Telluride High School, and we'll see you next week. Telluride's favorite storytelling night is back. Telluride Theater's The Down Low will be performing at the Liberty next month and organizers want your stories. This iteration of the Downlow's theme is Snow Days. The theater is looking for stories about that epic trip into the backcountry, something special that happened while flakes were fluttering outside, or the wild shenanigans you got up to when school was canceled due to snow. Those with story ideas can email tellyouridownlow at gmail.com with a brief summary of the story. The Snow Days Storytelling Night will take place at the Liberty Bar on Sunday, March 20th. Looking for a new used car? You may be in luck. The Grand Mesa and Compagre and Gunnison National Forests will be hosting an auction to sell used government vehicles and equipment. The GMUG will sell 10 items, including pickup trucks, a house trailer, belly dump, and trailer dump. The auction is scheduled to run from February 25th through March 4th. Potential bidders can inspect the vehicles in Delta from 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Monday through Thursday through March 4th. To view the items online, go to gsaauctions.gov. Each day, we're a day closer to the off-season. And for many, that will mean hopping on a plane to warmer climes. But where to fly from? This week, Matt Skinner, CEO of the Colorado Flights Alliance, provided an update to Mountain Village Town Council about what flights will look like this spring and into summer. For the off-season months, flights will be limited, but not going away. During the off-season, we'll have both Phoenix Thursday and Sunday and Denver Daily flying out of the Tex airport, so please use it. 
And then Montrose will have Southwest, American Dallas, and United, uh, Denver still flying as well several times a day. So good off-season traffic. For summer, flights will look similar to those in the past. We're going to fly Phoenix and Denver into Texas again. And then, uh, and then the, rest of, the rest of the group should be back, except Phoenix will not run with American. And that has been on the chopping block for years, even before COVID. And then finally, we have hit the wall. There will also be flights into Montrose from Denver, Dallas, Houston, and Chicago. In addition to the flights themselves, Skinner reminds the Montrose Airport is currently under construction and everyone flying should allow themselves plenty of time to get to their flight. Colorado lawmakers are advancing several bills to prevent wildfires, including an effort to chip away at a backlog of forest thinning projects. KOTO Scott Franz has more. The measure would spend $26 million to help cities with long-term efforts to reduce wildfire risk. State Representative Lisa Cutter says the state has been neglecting the issue for many years, leading to more destructive fires. And the Colorado State Forest Service estimates that our mitigation efforts are underfunded by nearly $4.2 billion. Only cities and counties willing to invest their own money into projects could get the new state aid. Cutter says places like Chafee County could get more than a million dollars because of a sales tax they've already passed for mitigation projects. Another bill getting initial approval includes one to reimburse homeowners for mitigation projects. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol. The Navajo Nation has around 250 police officers for some 27,000 square miles. That's an area just larger than West Virginia. Add to this jurisdictional constraints for county police, and it means many on the reservation can't depend on a speedy response to crime. Last November, Utah's Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women and Girls Task Force heard tribal residents' concern over the lack of law enforcement. KZMU's Justin Higginbottom visited those areas within the Navajo Nation in southern Utah to hear about the issue and what the residents want. It's a sunny, clear winter day in Monument Valley. Red sandstone buttes tower over the landscape. Tourists visit from around the world to see them. This is a border community. Residents not only straddle the Arizona and Utah state lines, but the Aljeto chapter of the Navajo Nation is on the reservation's northwest frontier. Kanta, Arizona, the closest Navajo Police Department, is about an hour south. Utah's San Juan County Sheriff's Department in Monticello is two hours north. It used to be that we would dial 911, it would go automatically to Kanta. But as of late, we found that when you dial 911, it goes into Monticello. And Monticello then has to transfer your call back to Kanta to get the call. And then Kayenta also had a listed number and you would just dial that directly. And again, as of late, you dial that number and nobody ever answers. That's Marietta Bedoni. She's the Algeto chapter secretary and treasurer. Last month, she says she laid out her concerns over crime and enforcement to her tribe's law and order committee. There's bootlegging, liquor is illegal on the Navajo Nation, and theft. Tourists swipe crafts, cars crash on the narrow highway, and it can be hours before police respond, if they come at all. There's also more violent crime. I was in an abusive relationship, and I would end up calling the police department, and they would just never show up. 
She says she ran into other women with similar stories while waiting in a Canton court lobby for a protection order. In a sense, it's almost like you're not only traumatized by what happens with the crime, but now you're being abused by law enforcement. Traveling west across red desert and islands of white rocky outcrops, there's Red Mesa. It's another remote Navajo Nation community in Utah. Well, either way, we were neglected, especially here in San Juan County, the reservation part. Even the Navajo Nation tells us, you know, you guys are all on your own over there. No, we're not. We're part of you guys over there. <laughs> so we feel neglected anyway. That's Marilyn Hawley. She's the vice president of the Red Mesa Chapter House. Chapter houses are a form of local government for Navajos on the reservation. They are especially important here, so far away from towns and services. And we complain every year, all the time. We send in resolutions saying we need at least an officer here, you know, but that doesn't happen. Navajo PD comes from New Mexico to her community, which is on the northeast border of the Navajo Nation. She says criminals can be bold in this area. One resident was tied up during a home invasion. The thieves cleaned him out. One of the guys said, you want me to kill him? It's what he heard. But the, the lady, the girl that was with them said, no. Leave them alone, and they, and they left. Stuff like that, you know, and the police officers, I don't know when they showed up. That was about two years ago. Holly says when police do respond and make arrests, they often don't hold suspects for long. The Navajo Nation system doesn't work. If they arrest somebody, they take him into Shupra. They are released the next day. Like Bodoni in Monument Valley, Holly also wants to see more police in her community. Charlene So is the Navajo Nation's council delegate for five chapters in northern Arizona and southern Utah, including Red Mesa and Monument Valley. She says crime has been on the rise. Sexual and domestic abuse, bootlegging, people making drugs in tract houses. Some of these constituents have been scared to speak about it in fear of retaliation. And even if we were to tell a police officer, they assume that the police officers will not conduct a thorough investigation or search and seizure, and that is a long process, and that leaves a wide open space for retaliation. She says hiring new officers is a challenge. There's the usual lack of funding, but also finding recruits is hard. We don't have enough qualified individuals, you know, that pass those background checks and the physical tests, it kind of gives us a slim graduating class. So says there's only about a 10% graduation rate for new recruits. Bodonian Monument Valley thinks there's another reason why police aren't often seen in the area. She's worked in legal services and done ride-alongs with police, and she hears what they say. Some of the new recruits were hesitant to work in this district just because of how they're informed that this is one of the most dangerous districts to work with. Two Navajo Nation police were ambushed and murdered near her community in the 80s. It left a scar. Locals still talk about it. Right behind the poles here, there's another home. The guy there killed his wife and then he, he killed himself. But there's been a, a, a number of cases, like I'd say about two, three other cases where that happened. John Young of the San Juan County Sheriff's Department says his officers will respond in emergencies on the Navajo Nation. But when they arrive, their hands can be tied due to a lack of jurisdiction. So now instead of, instead of just thinking, are we, are we responding to, you know, protect and, and possibly save lives, how far out am I, am I hanging myself? 
far out am I willing to, to go out on that limb when I'm not going to be protected or, or backed by any agency or jurisdiction because I don't have jurisdiction in that area. It's a confusing thing, and it, it's, you know, I, I don't know what the solution is. There's talks of cross-deputization between San Juan Police and the Navajo Nation. That program existed in the past. And there's a planned Navajo Police substation for Aneth, a town near Red Mesa. For many on the reservation, they don't care if it's Navajo Nation police or Utah police or the FBI that respond. They just want help. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clear skies tonight with a low around 10 degrees. Saturday should be sunny during the day and mostly clear at night with a high in the mid-40s and a low around 15. Sunday, expect sunny skies with a high near 45 degrees. Sunday night should be mostly cloudy with a low around 25. This has been the news for Friday, February 18th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.